Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits, thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Yes, Lord. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things, Lord, to place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time you've given me with my sister, that we have yet another day that we might get into your word, that we may dive in, Lord, and get bathed by the scriptures, Lord, that we might have new understanding as to what you are and what you desire for your church. And Lord, I pray that no man's heart be heard tonight. I pray that no flesh be glorified. I pray that the Holy Spirit is here, Lord, and that you may speak through us, that we may honor you. Yes, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, For those who couldn't be here today, Lord, I'm asking that you look after them. I'm asking that you watch over them. I'm asking, Lord, that you make a way that they might be serving you, Lord, and doing what you call them to do. I pray, Lord, even for my enemies, Lord, those that hate us, those that write messages against us, those that may hear us and blow us off, Lord, I pray that you remove the scales from their eyes that they may come unto the truth, that they may understand that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of contention, Lord, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every spirit, Lord, that is anti-Christ, I pray in Jesus' name that you cut it down. And I want to pray tonight for my sister Aline, Lord, and all that she's going through and she's battling right now. I'm asking that you set her free, Lord, and turn her away from where she is. I pray, Lord, for my sister Melissa and all she's going through and her son Devin, Lord. I pray that you give him new understanding and a life, Lord, that is pleasing unto you. That you take away those things, Lord, that don't glorify you. And that you baptize that boy in the Holy Ghost. That he may understand why he is here. So, Lord, I'm asking that your spirit fall. I invite the Holy Spirit this very moment, Lord. We can't do this without you, Lord. So I'm praying that you anoint us with the message today. That you may give us all understanding as to where we are and where we need to be in you. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true. And you are worthy of all praises. Well, I pray, Lord, at this hour that you do these things for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Name. Amen. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is going to be called The Wine Mixed with Water. The Wine Mixed with Water. Now, this is something that the Lord directed me to during another teaching. Um, and it just rang loud with me because I think what the Lord was trying to show me is in many ways we can think that we have a thing or we can think that we're being righteous in God's eyes or we can think that some of the blessings that he had given us ahead of time 
that they'll just remain with us forever and there's nothing that we need to do. And it's important that we understand that when we are that way and we have partaken of the new wine at some point, we can so easily go back to the water. We can so easily think that we've got it and our, our wine has been diluted. Everything has been taken away from us because we don't believe in progressing with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what a lot of Christians today are walking in is wine mixed with water. That's one of the problems that we're having yep. is that we think that we're in the truth, but we're not really getting all that we can from the Lord. We're settling for what we call second or third best. When God wants you to be with him and to ever grow in him, that we may have what the Bible will say, that river of living water. Now, water in this term, what we're speaking of tonight is a negative. It doesn't mean that the water is always negative. The water has some positives too. The Bible makes clear that if those who will follow Christ out of their belly should pour rivers of living water. So we're talking about God as living water. But as you know, wine is also mentioned as a type of Holy Ghost or that which comes from God. And, you know, oil itself is another thing that comes from God. Okay, so we got to understand it's in what context we're using it. So when I say the wine mixed with water, you know, we're talking about a diluted wine that, that is nowhere near as strong as it needs to be because it's got, you know, what I would say impurities in it. Okay, like wine, instead of it being what it should be, it's actually weaker, you know, and that's what happens when you mix water with wine. The wine will become weaker. It becomes diluted, that it doesn't have the same intoxication, the same strength that would um, have more effects, okay? So we're going to get into this because I just want to go in and get this thing started. So let's go to Psalm 33. Psalm chapter 33, we're going to begin there. Actually, Psalm 133. Sorry, guys, Psalm 133. Nice short little psalm that makes so much sense. So this is Psalm 133. Let's look at verse 1. And it says, Behold how good, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. So let's just imagine this. Now, we know that uh, Levitical priests in the day, when they were being anointed, they would pour oil over their heads. But he's saying, man, how good is it that you can have that oil poured upon you? And it's just a constant flow from the head, which is where the mind is, where we begin in Christ. How do we become um, acceptable unto the Lord? It is with the renewal of your mind. So that oil, okay, pours straight from the head on down through the beard and on down to the robe, being fully covered, being filled with the anointing. So he's saying how good it is that brethren dwell together. Those of like minds, of like precious faiths that actually believe the same. You know, that oneness of the body of believers, that when they all reach the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. He's saying, man, it's that beautiful that it's like being anointed with the oil that ran down from Aaron's head unto his beard, down to his skirt. Just a constant flow. 
So you can imagine if a man is being anointed by God, then it is God that is pouring onto the head, which even means the heads of ministry, which even means the heads of the body of Christ, those in eldership and pouring straight down all the way down to the body onto the feet. And he said, that's how beautiful it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Then he says, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. So, you know, it'll be just like rains descending. You know, that's a beautiful thing to see. You don't really see it much out here, but April showers, May flowers. When it just rains and rains and rains and you don't even see anything, but it's just that constant pouring, that constant abundance that is flowing. And then all of a sudden you see life spring up, you know, green leaves on trees. You see flowers blossoming. But this is all because of that steady flow of rain coming from where? From heaven, from God. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing that when a man is anointed and that oil is poured upon him, it's like the flow of the Holy Ghost from the top all the way down to the bottom into the congregation. When Jesus threw out those money changers and, um, you know, wanted to get rid of them, well, he threw them out, beat their butts out of the temple for what they sold. They were a type of water that was mixed in with the wine. So once they were moved out of the way and Jesus, um, you know, got there, man, not only did that spirit fall upon the lame and the maimed, and he began healing and touching so many people and giving them what they needed, but then even the children were in there crying and praising the name of yep. Jesus because there was no more water mixed with the wine. It was a steady flow from the head all the way down to the feet. And what did he say? Out of the mouth of babes, they have perfected praise. That's what that's about, is being able to have the wine flowing and not the water. Well, you know, depending on how you use the water, but in this particular case, water is the negative. Right. Okay, when those things are moved out of the way, you can have the constant flow of the Spirit where God can move. Okay, so from here, let's go to Isaiah chapter 1 and let's get this going. See, when there's no steady flow of the Spirit, there's stoppage somewhere. There's something going on in the midst that shouldn't be. So God can't rest on it. And that's for every ministry. It could be selfish people. It could be people that come to eat and run. People that, you know, have their only best interest at heart. It could be a number of things. But we've got to understand when God has got that flow going, we cannot upset what the Spirit is doing. Amen. We can't throw flesh in the mix. We can't throw feelings in the mix. We can't throw other things that we idolize in the midst. We've got to push those things aside so that God can flow through you to reach another. Amen. So this is Isaiah chapter 1, and let's look at verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken, um, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. So no doubt, this is the children of Israel. Verse 3, the ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. So he's saying, man, even the ox knows his owner, where he goes and eats. But Israel is just all over the place, just like you see the church today. Yeah. They don't know who God is. They give it all to the pastor. Verse 4. 
A sinful nation, that's one. A people laden with iniquity, that's two. A seed of evildoers, that's three. Uh, children that are corruptors, that's four. They have forsaken the Lord, that's five. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger, that's six. They are gone away backwards, that is seven. And you know what? I bet if you were to add the seven spirits of God to this, they have forsaken all, meaning no Holy Ghost watching over the church, no counsel, no might, no, um, no fear of the Lord, no, uh, what is the other one? No Holy Ghost, no um, wisdom, mm -hmm. no knowledge. All those things have been taken away because they are rebellious to what the call of God is. Yep. So it says, why should, why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. So notice this. This is important too from what we just read. He says, why should I even stricken you? Why should I smite you? Why should I spank your butt? You guys don't even listen to me. All you're going to do is rebel more and more. So then God says through Isaiah, the whole head is sick. So where when the priests are anointed does it begin? At the head. He pours onto the head. And the second thing that the Bible mentions in Psalm 133, down to the beard. What does the beard do? Cover the heart. Okay, so when you get past that point, then there's a steady flow of the, of the spirit and where it needs to be. But right now, he said, man, the whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. The heart is weak for God. That's when you can give those little tiny baby prayers because you've been drinking on the world all day. So now it's just time. Yeah, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And then you just go to bed. What happened to God's time? But that's because you're invested in the world and not serving him. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Mm -hmm. Verse six, from the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. Now notice he just gave a description from head to foot, from foot to head. Okay, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Okay, so remember, Jesus came in Luke chapter four. I'm just making this example to bind up the broken heart to heal them that are bruised, to set them at liberty of them that are captives, you know, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He came for this purpose. But remember, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. So Jesus was anointed to do these things, to preach the gospel. Okay, so this here, when he says there is no, um, neither, mollified, neither mollified with ointment, there's no Holy Ghost on these bruises. There's no Holy Ghost on these sores and these wounds. These are things that men have with a heart, with a sick head and a faint heart yep. when there is no Holy Ghost in the midst. So this is how bad a state these people are in. And it says, man, with the head, there's no soundness in it. That means there's no soberness. There's nothing sober in the mind here. The mind is just wandering wherever it wants. Look at verse 7. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. So these people are bound, okay? They are seriously bound in this where they, 
It says that their city is desolate. Their country's desolate. So there is nothing in it. And, you know, when you look at this, even though they may have cucumbers in it, they're a besieged city, okay? So there's like no way in. Then it says in the, um, verse 9, Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. So the point that he's making here is, is that if it wasn't for God saving a remnant, a very small remnant, it says, that this whole city would have been taken over. Jerusalem would have been taken over completely by the enemy. So you see, that's why even when you are a Christian and you've got sound doctrine and you believe God, it is up to you to be able to tell your brothers and sisters where they're wrong so they can get back on track. But today you get a lot of people telling people, well, that's your brother in the Lord, you know, so don't talk about them. And this and I'm not talking about them. I'm trying to tell them what they need to know to make it right. If I'm out of order, I need to hear what I need to know to make it right. But you see what happens when you just let people sit and be as they are. When they won't hear the voice of the Lord, you've got a weak nation, one that is bound up like a besieged city. Okay, and this is why, and he said, man, we should have been like Sodom and Gomorrah if it wasn't for that small little remnant. That's all that's going to be saved in the end of time. When the Bible says there's going to be a great falling away, it's going to be because of people putting themselves before Jesus. How many people have accepted Jesus really as Lord? You know, everybody wants to acknowledge him as a savior, but how obedient are we to serving him? That's what the remnant is going to be based on. So this is verse 10. This is Isaiah 1 and 10. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of the he-goats. Okay, so the point that he's making here is that these lambs and these he-goats and things and these sacrifices they're giving God, he was saying, what's the point? Why do I even care that you have Bible study? Why do I even care that you guys come up in a temple and meet with me on Sunday when, you know, you don't even have my spirit around you? You don't even listen to a thing I'm telling you. Your head is sick. That means your headship, your pastors and this and that. And, and the people and their thinking. But and the heart is faint. You're not doing this for me. You're doing this for vainglory. You're doing this to be seen of others, you know, to give a nice little solo before whatever. Or you sit there and you preach a message, but you want the amens and the hallelujahs. Man, if you're really preaching the word of God, what you want is, you know, I mean, people aren't going to be amening you, you know, in most cases. People are going to be convicted because the God is only coming to clean up that which is messed up. Mm -hmm. All right, so he says, when ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my cords? So like he's saying, where did you get permission to come before me as you are? See, who gave you permission to be like this? But this is how bold people can be. Oh, I just want to do a little something for the Lord. You don't even know God. I mean, this is, this is one of the things that he's trying to bring up here. And you don't even have a relationship with me. This is not even about this. Verse 13, bring no more. What did he call them? 
vain oblations, things based in vanity, based in pride, based in weakness and softness, things that don't make any sense. And then he says, incense is an abomination unto me. So what is incense for? Worship. But he's saying, man, it's an abomination to me because you guys are not obeying what I'm telling you all through this chapter, he was saying. So then he says, uh, the new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. So he's talking about the assemblies and he's talking about the solemn meeting. This is no doubt church. This is no doubt church. Like where, where people are just living their lives the way that they want, but not according to the will of God. You know, I heard that church is not even supposed to be run, run the way it is. Mm -hmm. That that's a part of the Catholic doctrine where you got one pastor there that is doing everything and everybody else is subservient. It's supposed to be the church is run by a body of elders. You know, those who are of like precious faith that God put in place to do what they do. It shouldn't be just some one individual running the show. And then there's also another part in here where it talks about um, that they, when you get together, it's not always to do the same thing. There should be other things. Maybe the spirit may want to inject something and someone may go into prayer. Someone may have a song or a song. And then, you know, of course, you can get the word of God. But it's not supposed to be run as this is today's program because you don't know what the spirit is going to do at whatever time. Yep. And that's when the spirit really governs the church. So you see, if man has got his hands in what God wants, that becomes the water mixed with the wine. That becomes the wine mixed with water. Why? Because you're stopping and you're weakening the power of the Holy Ghost and where he can work. Mm -hmm. This is something for all of us to learn. Verse 14. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. So even though, we got to look at this too. Even though God was appeased with what was going on with the Levitical law, it was never God's plan. God hated to put law on man. He just wanted man to be good and obey him and just be full of his spirit. So he was never for the Levitical law. He gave it to them to try and govern them, that they may govern themselves out of their own wretchedness. It was only a schoolmaster, but this was only for the preparation that Jesus Christ may come. And that's why if you go to Galatians 3, it says we are no longer in need of a schoolmaster once Christ came and did what he did and the spirit poured unto us. Okay, so that's important that we understand this. God, man, he, he never wanted Levitical law. He did it because for the time being, that's what was necessary. But God made Adam and Eve to obey him. As everybody talks about Abraham was a friend of God. Everybody talks about Moses. Everybody talks about Elijah and David and all these guys that did wonderful things for the Lord, which is good. But God made Adam and Eve full of the spirit. And when God gave them, he said they were good. That was always God's intention from the beginning that they would just be full of the Spirit. So none of them had what Adam and Eve had. What they lost, Jesus came back to redeem. Mm -hmm. So un unless we obey Christ and do what he says and become full, get full of his Spirit, we truly are not the finished work that he wants us to. We've right. got to get that Spirit and live by it. That was God's original plan. God didn't start out with the law. He didn't start out with the Sabbath day. He began with 
two beings that he made full of the spirit that was to obey him and be able to commune with him. Mm -hmm. That was God's plan. Sons and daughters of God. So he says in verse 15, and when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. So at this time, you had Moloch worship. You know, there were abortion going on. There even been statistics that show that abortion is just as big a deal in the church as it is for the rest of the world. Okay, not just, you know, with the killing of, of, of the Moloch worship, putting their hands out there or the babies out there to be sacrificed. But there were also, you know, people not preaching the gospel, people fighting over things, hating their brother without a cause. That makes you a murderer, you know, not preaching the gospel. So he says, man, when you pray, imagine the Lord just hiding his face from you. He don't even want to look when you get down there with your little 10 cent prayer. That doesn't mean anything because you're into yourself. I mean, God is just like, I don't even want to look at this, let alone listen to you. But he's talking about having a right heart towards him. And I love what David Wilkerson said. He said that a Christian or a man or woman of God that does what God tells them to do, they are the only people that are accountable, I mean, that are able to hold God at his word. And that's why when Moses told the Lord, remember when he was going to judge the children of Israel for their disobedience. And Moses came boldly before the Lord. But Lord, you promised. You said that you were going to let them go. And we know that you were good. And if we don't do this, these people are going to be blasphemed. I mean, they're going to blaspheme you and say what you couldn't do. And Moses told the Lord, repent of what you decided to do. Moses was pretty bold. And the Lord said, okay, forgive and I'll grant you this. Now get out of here while my wrath burns slow. Because the Lord was still angry. But Moses had a right to go before the Lord. Lord, I'm doing what you ask. I'm obeying you. And you said that anyone that obey you, their homes would be in order. Their wives and husbands would be whatever. That you would provide every single day. So, Lord, you need to do this. Now, I'm not saying we get disrespectful before the Lord. But what I'm saying is, if you are righteous, not by your standards, but according to the word of what God wants, you can come before the throne boldly and hold God at his word. You can actually quote scripture and say, Lord, you said that this would happen and this is what I'm doing. And God will do because he holds his word above his name. But if we're not doing what he says to do, then we can't hold God to nothing. We haven't even held up our end of the deal. Now his mercy and his grace endures forever, his mercy that we can follow him, but he also wants us to obey. Okay, Adam and Eve were made in obedience, full of the wine, full of the spirit. What did God do? Man, you guys don't have to work. I'm giving you a garden that will take care of every need that you want. All you got to do is obey me. Guys, you can eat from any tree in here. Just stay away from that clown over there. But you see, that's God. That's how good God was because he made them good because they were obedient. You see what happened when they walked away from it? He kicked them right out. You can't be up in here because this is not what my thing is all about. So God hides his face from the disobedience and the unrighteous. All right, go ahead. What were you going to say? Um, you know, what really excites me is being as Jesus Christ is and being as the disciples. And the reason why is because, I mean, that's, 
that's what it's all about. I guess that's what excites me is the fact that, you know, if we are that way, then I don't get excited about working on a job anymore. I don't get excited about doing the worldly stuff. And that's something the Lord's really had to work with me on in the course of a, you know, a year or so is the fact that it's like, okay, if you really want to see fruit happen, then stop dedicating your time to the world to include the job and start dedicating your time dedicating your time to me. And I truly believe that if we really want to see the Lord work, then we're going to have to start doing His will. We're going to have to start working for Him and stop working for the world system. I yeah. think that that truly is how it's going to happen. Worldly life is an example of wine mixed with water, no doubt, because it's like we can get so consumed that we don't even have time to do what God tells us to do. You know, we can be worn down, beaten up. Mm -hmm. But God is saying that if we obey him and we do what he tells us to do, then we are, you know, the Lord can just say, okay, because you've been obedient, I'm going to take care of this for you. I'll take care of your job. I'll take care of your bills. I'll make sure that your kids are raised within my confines. Exactly. That way you don't have to be a parent watching 24-7. If we obey God, God will take care of that child when right. you go to and fro. Because there were countless times when my parents were not even around. And I got off into some foolishness. And the Lord had to come and save my life, okay, because of where I was. Mm -hmm. But it, it was all about prayers and, you know, doing things for him. So he says in verse 16, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well. So he's saying, man, put away the evil of your doings so I can wash you and I can make you clean. Stop doing evil. Learn to do well. So that doesn't mean that we can just do well outright. You don't know. So you've got to be instructed by God's word and by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, which is our conscience, to guide us in the right direction. We truly don't know what those things are. That's why he said, learn to do well. Seek judgment. So you should look forward to somebody condemning you or telling you what you're not condemning you, but to telling you what you're doing wrong so that you may do right. Lord, instruct me. Tell me what I'm not doing right. Yeah. Invite the Holy Ghost into your life. Um, relieve the oppressed. So we should be also doing to try and help people that are less fortunate than us. Judge the father, the fatherless and plead for the widow. So, you know, kids with no dad, they should be taken care of. You know, people should be looking out for them. But then he's talking about plead for the widow, even the woman with no husband. Where are these people in God's economy? They get ignored. But these are the people that God always cared about giving special attention to. And I believe that is because for children, God has an order. You notice he didn't say anything about men in here. But for children, when God has an order, the children should be brought up in subjection to God until that having a father. Okay, because when you got a father, to be honest with you, that's a family. You take on the last name. If the head of every man is Christ and God pours unto him, he pours unto his family. Okay, when you got um, a widow, you know, she's supposed to be a part of her husband. Okay, I mean, not that God isn't her father. Of course he is. But, you know, not having that headship or that husband in your life, then she needs to be cared for too. But where are the concerns for these people? And this is where God's heart is. All right, verse 18, come now. And let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, 
they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white. They shall be as wool. So he's talking about making them clean. Okay, but notice he said, "Come and let us reason together." So God knows that we have a problem. We got a real bad problem. It's called Adam. We've got a real issue with our flesh that we just think that everything else in this world is more, um, what do you call it? It's um, more real than who God is. And this is the type of thing that God wants to take us from so that we can give him the glory. So then he says in verse 19, if ye be willing and obedient, you see, there you go. Ye shall eat the good of the land. When Adam and Eve was good and obedient, they ate the good of the land. When they fell away from that, what happened? God took his spirit off of them and they had to till for themselves. And as you can see, they weren't very successful. Verse 20, but if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. How is the faithful city become an harlot? Uh, it was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. So this is the church. How can the house of the Lord, how can a faithful city become mixed in with an harlot? Because people have given their hearts over to the water and not the wine. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what's important. Verse 22, look at what he says. Thy silver is become dross. Now, silver was a type of precious metal then. But now it's just something, you know, hanging around, something holding weight. Just your silver has become your prison. Your silver has become like waste, useless before God. And then he says, thy wine mixed with water. Thy princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts. See, that's the problem. Now, see, you begin here with the water mixed with wine. Your silver has become dross. Then he says, thy princes are rebellious. Those who rule over you, they're rebellious. And then he says, and companions of thieves. So not only are the princes rebellious, they love to hang out with the unrighteous. They love the world. They, they like the world's ways versus God's ways. And then he says, uh, everyone loveth gifts and followeth after rewards. And that's why you can't get a ministry today to walk in the ways of God unless that ministry is on one accord. If that, if that church is on one accord or whatever it is, everybody wants gifts. Everybody loves rewards. Everybody, in so many ways, the devil is bribing people to follow him because we're not looking at the big picture of what God wants. We're looking at it like, a, yeah, here you go. You can have this for your degree. Yeah, you can have this. Yeah, you want to go to, um, you want to go take a trip somewhere? Go ahead. Hey, you want this? I'll take care of you too. You'll, you're going to get a raise next month and this is what we're going to do. But you see, it's those types of things that takes people's eyes off of God and start worrying about themselves. How did the devil get Adam and Eve to fall? Worried about yourself? Mm -hmm. You will be as gods. And you see, those things are pleasing. But, you know, we got to get to the point where we're not doing things for our health. We're doing what God wants because it's what God desires for us. Right. So then he says again, they judge not the fatherless, neither doth um, the cause for the widow come unto them. Now, this is true. This is what we talked about for a long time. Kids that are fatherless, if you got people that are, 
you know, worried about self. You don't care about that. Yeah, they'll be all right. And they'll just go on and live. But then you talk about the widow. You can't worry about these people if you're into yourself. You've got your own life. So these are the things God wants to take us away from that we can start to do the things that he wants. Mm-hmm. That's what this is all about. All right. So anyway, he says, therefore, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, uh, I will ease me uh, of mine adversaries and avenge me of mine enemies. And I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross and take away all thy tent. And that's what the uh, tribulation is all about. When the, when the persecution begins to happen to the church of God, all the, that is God purging. And all these things are going to be taken away. Now you can't go back to work. So what are you going to do now? But you see, this is how God cleans the church. This is how he gets people on board with what he wants. He's got to take things from us. God won't allow some of us to have certain things because they'll mean too much to us and we'll end up being damned. Mm -hmm. God ain't going to let you have what you want yet because you're not giving it to him. So he says in verse 26, And I will restore thy judges as at the first and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterwards thou shalt be called uh, the city of righteousness and of the faithful city. So God wants us to be known as a righteous people, those who are doing what he has so that his name can be on us. So when people start talking about having the seal of God, we got to understand that comes with obedience. We can't have his seal without it. God is holy, so he can't be associated with us if we're unholy. Mm-hmm. That's just a part of his nature. It's not because God thinks he's better than us. It's got nothing to do with that. He is. But the point is, is that even though he loves you, he has to separate from that which is unrighteous for his name's sake. And that's why we've got to be purged so that God can use us and have us fit unto every good work, like 2 Timothy uh, 2 says. So let's go to Matthew 25. You must have looked tired over there. Mm-hmm. You didn't sleep last night? Mm-hmm. The devil trying to knock you guys out. Get that spirit out of here. Trying to keep people from paying attention. That's what he does. All right, so this is Matthew 25, and let's look at verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So, you know, they got the foolish. We've gone over this a million times. The foolish didn't take any oil in their lamps. I do believe at one point they were anointed because the Bible calls them virgins. At one point they were strong Christians. But, you know, around the time of the bridegroom, you know, or before that time came, They started waning. And, you know, it's so important that we recognize what Revelation 2 says when it talks about the church of Ephesus, when it says thou hast left thy first love. We need to do a full teaching on that because I think when a person first becomes born again in Christ, that may be the strongest time for anybody that was born again. 
See, over time, you learn how to wait on the Lord and do certain things and what he says. But when you're first born again, you've got this childlike boldness in you where you're just going to say whatever it is because you don't care. Because you simply are just conscious of God and God alone. You are so glad that you've been saved, that he's purged you, that he's cleaning you, that he's doing all these things, that you just have to let everybody know about this Jesus. You pray all the time. You fasted yourself into a coma pretty much because you love the feeling of fasting and having God's spirit. You know, I was talking to Sarah about that um, what, a couple of months ago, but I said, man, remember a time when we were hungry for the word that we fasted. And if a fast wasn't right, we fasted again, even if it took 10 days. But the point is, is Lord, I want to give you the proper fast. So when you first have it, oh man, it's just like, I'm so glad that God saved me. I like this idea of fasting. I can feel the spirit on me. I'm loving this. I'm loving serving God. But what happens over time? It says the wise took oil in their lamps, but the foolish took no oil. So, you know, we can get to a place of complacency where we just begin to, you know, I'm okay. You know, I'm all right. I know I'm a child of the Lord. And you start remembering past things in your relationship with him and not the current things, not the things toward the future. You start to glory in the things that, oh man, we had this and I know I'm in the Lord because I spoke in tongues once. But you see, that lamp can go out. That light can leave. So the foolish... They didn't care too much about their relationship. They remember the one that they had. The wise are saying, man, I ain't taking this for granted. Every chance I get, I'm staying with the Lord. So it is important that we understand that we can leave our first love. And it happens so subtle. One minute, God is everything to you. And then a couple of years later, you don't even want people to, you don't even want to talk about him for the sake of offending people. What happened to you? This is all a part of becoming foolish because we let our wine get mixed with water. Right. So look at verse um, 5. And he says, while the bridegroom tarried, uh, they all slumbered and slept. Okay, so you had some that slumbered, you had some that slept. Those who slept, you know, um, those who slumbered slept kind of lightly, you know, but they were still keeping their eyes on the Lord. And those who slept, you know, they were out cold. There was like no life in them. They were, they were gone. And this is why, you know, it's supposed to be the coming of Jesus. So this is verse six. And at midnight, there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom coming. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. So as you can see, now that it's time to meet the Lord, the foolish know they ain't been praying, they ain't been fasting, they haven't been winning souls, you know, and, and now they're looking for the wise to give them a hand. So let's see what the wise say. Uh, but the wise answered saying, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Mm -hmm. So they were telling him, hey man, go get your own oil. This is the time the Lord is here. Salvation, as the Bible says, is an individual affair. We have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. How much of the Holy Ghost you got is how much you want. How much of Jesus you got is how much you want. And there is no one that can help you at the time of Christ when he is there looking for those virgins that he put oil in that lamp. 
It's up to you to maintain it through relationship and not doing what you want. Yes, sir. Just a side note on that is, you know, when, when people are going to say, let's say we're out and we're doing the Lord's will and people are amongst us or whatever, and let's say persecution comes our way and there are going to be those that are strong and you're going to have those that are going to say, well, you know, I didn't know it was going to be like this or I didn't know that uh, all this was going to happen. And it's going to be like, they may say, well, let me run to a church and start praying and start doing all this. And it's like, by that time, it's too late. Yeah. And that's why we got to have the Lord all up inside of us that mm -hmm. we can do what he tells us to do. So look at verse 10. And while they went to buy the bridegroom came and they were uh, ready and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. So they didn't have to get ready. They were already dressed, all ready to be with the Lord. When he came, they were ready to go. Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. That's something to think about it because that's that Hebrew word for no, yada again. You know, and, and this is why we went over um, last Sunday's teaching that we can all learn from. But it talked about, if you love me, keep my commandments. How we have love, obedience, and um, fear of the Lord all together in one. And Jesus said, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding. If you love God, you'll fear God. If you love God, um, you will obey God. If you love God, you I mean, if you know God, you'll love God. You'll stay with him. So knowing God is to be intimate with him and doing what he says. But um, John said, anybody that says he knows God and keepeth not his sayings is a liar. So these are things that these people, at one point, they were virgins. They knew the Lord. He made them virgins. But they took their relationship for granted. They mixed that wine, that Holy Ghost, with water. And you know, if you pour enough water into wine, it's not wine at all. You know, it's just probably some sparkling cider or something, but it's not wine anymore. Okay, so that's the thing. It becomes water. It becomes diluted to the point where there is no life in it. So that's what these people did. They took God for granted. Man, I'm going to go my way. I'll get to him when I get time. And man, he told them, man, just as, I mean, no feelings. No, why didn't you listen to me? He said, I don't know you. I know you not. Close the door. So see, those who allow, who are allowing themselves to get full of the Holy Ghost will be those who God knows, those who have the nature of God. When Adam and Eve sinned, they lost the Holy Ghost. That's what left them. And that's how a person's conscience can be seared to the point of don't even care what they do in front of God. So that's something we all got to work on and we got to cling to to make sure that we keep our relationship with, with the Lord. So he says, look at verse 13. That's a warning. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And that's something for us to keep in mind because there will come a point where, you know, a lot of people are going to be killed unawares. They're going to be caught up in some foolishness and all it takes is for a bullet or something to come right through the window, hit you, and you go off into eternity. And I mean, the last thing that you were doing, that's the thing you're going to be judged by. So we've got to live every day for the Lord as he wants us to, so that way we can be right in his sight. Okay? Amen. So let's move on. Let's move on. 
Let's go to Hosea. I want to go to Hosea uh, chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. Something too for everyone, this includes me to, to remember is that we can say that we know the Lord all the day long, but does the Lord know us? Because that's, that's what's going to get us into the kingdom of heaven. Is that because, you know, in two other sayings, they said, Lord, Lord, did we not do all this stuff in your name? And he said, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Yeah. So they claim to know the Lord, but he didn't know them. That's right. That's how it is. All right, Hosea chapter 2. Let's look at verse 1. And it says, Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and, and to your sisters, Rahama, plead with your, um, with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. Okay, so... We got to understand here, remember in verse 1, the Lord told Hosea to marry a harlot, okay? And he says, when you marry her, I mean, chapter 1, when you marry her, she's going to run off and cheat on you and go and do things, but you've got to go and redeem her back. And he made it clear, I want this so, so that way you can understand what, you know, my people are doing to me. So God wanted Hosea to have an understanding that, this is what God wants, okay? He wants them to be able to obey what he tells them to, and he wants them to feel what he feels so they can speak for him, mm -hmm. okay? That's all a part of the transformation and what God wants. So he says, take away her whoredoms out of her sight. This is none other than Israel and her adulteries from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and set her as the day that she was born, and um, make her as a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. So as you can see, if these are God's people that he's talking about, the thing that he wanted was for them to, you know, be able to be with him. If not, he said he would leave them naked. Now in the Old Testament, if you weren't physically naked, nakedness meant no God. That God would disown you. He wouldn't be your husband. He will cut you off from the way that you are. And you will be set naked. No God. You know, no covering. Alright. So then he said, and he said, I will slay her with thirst. Man, you don't think that's happening to the church right now? Thirsty. No Holy Ghost. No spirit. No guidance. Young people jumping up in the pulpit preaching like they know the Lord. And I mean, you got all this rebellion and stuff going on in the midst. So then he says, and I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms. And, you know, this is another thing that I remember growing up in church at a young age that although the church may not have been perfect and the kids not perfect, but because the parents did believe in God, it was funny that even when the kids did wrong for some reason, they were always like favored in certain places, you know, like even around bullies in school or whatever. It was like being a child of God. He got you out of some mess because somebody was being faithful to what God wanted. You know, so I remember seeing that as kids. But now you see like church kids, man, just like the world or worse. 
A lot of the times people would say the pastor's kids are the worst kids in the school. I mean, in the church. <laughs> Forget it. You know, exactly. So he says he won't have mercy on her or her children because of their whoredoms. For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived of them uh, have done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. Man, this is a mouthful. Because if we are supposed to be the bride of Christ, and like Sarah was just mentioned a little while ago, and we've talked about so many times, that we ought to go to the Lord for the things that we need. There are things that we need to be set free from so that God can work with us. But the point here being made is, he says that he will, um, she will be done shamefully. It says, for she said, I will go after my lovers. I will go after someone else aside from God. Anything that I can have. Those are her lovers. Then it says that give me my bread. Where a lot of us think that we're being sustained by the world, by our jobs, by our ministry, by whatever is going on aside from God. Then he says, and my water. Okay, so that which makes me clean, that which I can't live without, my wool, my covering, you know, that sets me right for the weather. He says, my flax, my oil, and my drink. So they believe that they're being sustained and being taken care of by this other thing and not God. Mm -hmm. So she called them her lovers, and he's saying that this is a harlot that they're hanging out with. So then it says in verse 6, Therefore... Behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. So, you know, when we didn't make it in the world like we wanted to, in many ways, consider yourself lucky because the Lord was trying to save your life. There were so many things that we desired that were aside from him that he had to take from us so that we could obey. We can finally pay attention. So with her doing all these things to him, this is how the devil treated us. The devil gives people out there millions of dollars just to go and sell your children filth and the music and, in, and on TV and all these things. So he's playing like a type of husband, you know, to the people of the world that want the world. Okay, but, the, but God, the devil knows full well that you belong to God. Mm -hmm. But if he can entice your flesh, your fallen flesh, he can get you to obey him. So this is part of the battle that's going on here. So he says, she's not going to find her path. There will be thorns. So as you make it in the world, as you follow this other husband of yours that's doing all these things with you, you guys feel the thorns? You see how you've been sicker than usual? You see how, you know, things just don't seem to come together? Look at all the pain and hurt that you suffer when you go into the world. Yeah, you may get that million dollars, but you may have to be sodomized. You may have to lay on a director's couch. You may have to have all these things happen to you in order to be sustained. This is important because God doesn't work like this. The devil does. But God says, I'm going to build that up so you can see how the devil treats you. Then you may think about coming back and doing what I'm saying. Verse 7. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not um, overtake them. So in other words, if she follows after her lovers... She'll never have power over them. She'll never be in the point where she's running the show now and her lovers are now obeying what she wants. 
She's going to be under some type of oppression is what he's talking about. So then it says, And she shall um, seek them, but shall not find them. They sh <laughs> then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better for me than now. And this is how many of us have gotten saved. This is how many of us have backslid, ran off in the world, and then came back to finish being saved. Because we've gone after the world, and then when you see how the devil treats you, now I'm going to go back. Now it was good. That's why you go to church after five years and you come back crying, and nobody knows what happened to you. Everybody's had that experience before. When you leave the church and you go and do what you do, then all of a sudden you come back. And they're just singing a gospel song and you're in there crying. Why? Because you know you had no business leaving in the first place. But this is what he's saying he's going to do. So now they're ready to come back. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Okay, so Baal is another name for Satan, another name for Nimrod. Baal was the enemy of God, okay? So he's saying, she didn't know that I gave her all this corn and wine. Even when you were a sinner, even when you didn't even know who I was, here I was taking care of you because I was trying to coach you to come in. You don't come home to me. But she rejected all that, ran off in the world, and everything that God gave her, she gave to Baal. So she was a real whore. She was a real harlot. She left what God wanted her to have, even though he was sustaining her, and she was giving it to her pimp. You know, not even realizing she's already married to somebody, but she's running off into the world. And that's the saddest thing for a Christian today. If you get the Holy Ghost and you don't know what it's for, that's the worst thing that can happen to a Christian. The spirit comes upon you. And instead of being anointed to go and do what God says, you're back in the world fooling around with the harlot. So how long do you think it's going to be before your river runs dry again? This is something we can all learn. But that's the worst thing you can do is beg God for the spirit. He pours it on you and you just, you know, yeah, now that I got it, I can go back and hang out with Charlie. See, this is um, verse 9. Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof and will recover my wool and my flax to cover her nakedness. So we got to understand something about God. If we get our feelings hurt by people because of the things that people do to us, man, with God, it's magnified times a million, okay, times infinity, because God doesn't deserve the things that we give him. God loves us, and he's giving it to us, and we're giving it to the devil. He gives it to us, we're giving it to the devil. God will make your life. You could be a, a homeless person. You could be someone that was beaten up by a man or done wrong by a woman, whatever it was. God will wipe you clean, deliver you, put you within his graces, and we go out and serve the world. And, you know, the Lord has kind of been watching me and my tongue too lately because, you know, I noticed that I'll say the glory is the Lord's, but then let's just say something happens and I'll say, yeah, I, you know, whatever, when really it wasn't you, it was God. Mm -hmm. But in many cases, we want the glory so bad. This is a part of fallen man. But we want the glory so bad that we're quick to take credit. Oh, I spoke to that person and, you know, they decided to give their lives to the Lord. Oh, but praise the Lord. So why you even say you if it was really if you were really after what the Lord says? But God will sit back and listen to that, 
wait for you to mature more that you recognize that it's him. Man, that's the God that we serve. And look at how we think. Oh, ah. And that's what little kids do. You ever help a little kid with their homework? And then say, oh, did you finish your work? Yeah, I did it all. You did not. I gave you every single answer. But kids just want to be accepted. And we've got to grow out of that so that God can give us that wine. Yes, sir. One of the churches I used to go to after Wednesday night soul winning, what they called it, mm -hmm. they would have, if, if anyone did get to speak to someone and the person said that they want to give their life to Jesus, so they would march the people up and say, yeah, I led this many people to the Lord tonight and this mm -hmm. and and it's just like you look back on that and it's like, why y'all got a parade talking to the Lord? It's not a parade. It's not about what you did. Exactly. People are like, oh, oh, that's just nice. Johnny, you know, did this. And it just, it's like, why y'all trying to steal the glory from the Lord? And that's exactly what was going on in the solemn feast in the assemblies because what that will do too is bring strife. Yeah. Because people will start thinking, well, next week I'm going to do this and I'm going to get more. But who's sitting back and laughing at this is the, is the pastor, you know, because he's like, yeah, thank you. You guys are serving me. Exactly. This this is an example of what we need here, not this over there. That's how people will receive it. And what happens? You've got strife breaking out among them instead of just giving the glory to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, aside from me, you can do nothing. Amen. All right. So he says, the Lord says he's going to take all his stuff back. And rightfully so. Look at verse 10. And now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of mine hand. I will also cause her, uh, all her mirth, to cease. Her feast days, her new moons, and her um, Sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts, I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she hath said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given me, and I will make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall eat them. So you see how doing that, you know, that they want to um, indulge in their lovers. And the Lord is saying, yeah, these are the rewards your lovers gave you, but it ain't going to be enough to help you. But this is what she wanted to clothe herself with. Verse 13, and I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them. She worshiped them, and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels. And she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. So this gives you an idea of the heart of God, how we can just, you know, just forget him. Lord, so you forgot all about me. You know how many people prayed to God? And I know I'm talking to you out there, whoever you are. Okay, but how many times you ever prayed, Lord, give me a job and, I'll, and I'll, I'll go to church. I'll do what you want. I'll start serving you and doing all that you ask. You get that job? Your feet won't step in church maybe one day. You may go the first day, but then after that, you're right back in the world. These are the things that God deals with. Lord, if you deliver me, I'll never do it again. Verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably to her. So the Lord don't want to lose his bride. You see what I'm saying? Like, But he's got to teach you a lesson so that you can see what's going on. But now that she's all sad and her life ain't where it should be, the Lord is saying, let me take you in the wilderness so we can talk. Let me take you to a barren place that I can prove myself to you, that I've been good to you, and I am your true husband. So he says um, in verse 15, And I will give her her vineyards from thence, 
and the valley of Achor for a door of hope, and she shall sing and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, and as the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Man, we don't understand how important this is because he said he's going to bring her back to the place of her youth. Remember when you first got saved? Remember when you loved the Lord? You had to wear a little necklace or something to show everybody that you were a Christian. You had to carry your Bible. You had to do things because you were that inspired to want to serve the Lord. This is what he's talking about. And it says, man, she'll sing because she's glad to be back. Remember when you took me out of where I was. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ish, like man or husband. So it will be that day that she'll be calling him a husband and shall call me no more barely. Okay, because a lot of people will look at, you know, God who is your true husband. Really, if you're married to God, you can't, it's impossible to be married to Satan. So basically what you're calling Satan is your husband, but it's not even his rightful place. It's not even a title that the devil can take. And that's why he says, she'll stop calling me Bailey, because that's what she was trying to call him, her husband. But really, she was married to the Lord. You know, so that's what, that's the point that he's making. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. So this is important, too, that we understand. I hate to keep stopping, but I want to break this down. He's saying that he will take Balaam out of her mouth. What does the Bible say for them? Well, we'll go there. But anyway, he'll take Bailey out of her mouth. So that what you think about, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you're of the world, you're going to speak of the world. What will God do? God will let you, you know, um, reverence him and speak about him. The world will be taken from the midst of you. And this is why when you talk to people about forsaking the world and they fight you for it, Baal is still their husband. That's who they're still married to, and that's who they're fighting to defend. So it says, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. So, you know, the Lord is going to take the world from you. He's not going to have you jumping back and forth for both. And in that day will I make a covenant um, with them, with the beast of the field, and with the fowl of heaven, and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth, and will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee, the Lord will be engaged to you, uh, unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness, and in judgment, and in loving kindness, and in mercies. And I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. Man, that's a beautiful thing that God can redeem you take you back from where you were. Thank God he is forgiven. Thank God his mercy endures forever. Because how many times did we run out on him and he had to go and grab us by our ear and bring us back. But you notice he never forced us to come back. God let the devil beat the heck out of you and then came and saw you on the side of the road crying. And now he's coming to talk to you again. Come on. Now let me take you out here again so you can see that I am God. But you see, that's the heart of the Lord. So why are we mixing the wine with water? We've got the crown jewel. 
He put a treasure in earthen vessels that we ought to mine and we ought to hold as sacred because it is God and not us. Mm -hmm. So let's move on. I want to go to Joel. Uh, I want to go to Joel 1. Joel chapter 1, right next door. Look at this. We're going to hear some more about this. But man, that is the heart of God. He'll see to it that the devil, I mean, you know, if you stay with him, won't kill you. He'll see to it that he won't have his way with you. But then that's, that's God's mercy to keep coming back and redeeming you from where you were. That's the mercy of God. Because if God didn't care and he really felt like you and I, he'd be, man, you know what? Leave her out there. I don't care anymore. She's not with me. But that's not God's heart. He doesn't kick you out. You choose to leave, and he can't hold you there. He ain't going to be standing in front of the door. You're my wife. You need to be here with me. Not if you want to go. God doesn't control you. He would say, you know what? If you want to go, I can't stop you, but I'm just telling you I love you. Come home. You know, this guy is no good. How many times have we been in a situation where we've been told somebody is no good, and we go after him anyway just to find out that they were no good? Sarah's counting her fingers. <laughs> anyway, this is Joel 1, and let's look at verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pithuel, uh, Hear this, ye old man, and give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath uh, the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. So he's saying that all the inheritance that God has given them, you know, we let the demons come right in and take away what the inheritance was. He's saying, man, not only did one of them come in here and eat and left something, the other one came in and ate and left something. So they're just devouring what God wants. This is the type of demons that you let into the midst that will take what they can from you. So look at what he says in 5. Awake ye drunkards, wake up, and weep, and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. So how did the new wine get cut off from us? Or from the, the people who won't obey. They allowed the canker worm in, the palmer worm, the caterpillar, the locust. You let these things into the midst that have nothing to do with God. And they took from you. They also put you to sleep because people are so drunk, so full of themselves, so not alert and seeing what's happened to the church today that people don't care. But he's telling them, man, wake up. He said, because the new wine is cut off from you. You let these things in the midst. They devoured all that I have given you. And now you yourself can't even maintain the spirit. Huh. Verse 6. For a nation has come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion. And he hath um, a cheek. And he hath the, the cheek teeth of a great lion. He hath laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree. And like he took all the bark off the fig tree. Uh, he hath made it clean, bare, and cast it away, 
and branches thereof are made white. So he took everything from them. This is what the devil will do to you. This is a state when the devil gets done with you. Look at verse 8. Lament like a virgin. Cry like a virgin. Or mourn and weep, you know. Girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priest, the Lord's ministers, mourn. There is no new wine in the land. And this is what it should be like. We should be weeping. We should be mourning. We should be on our face before the Lord that his presence comes back and takes over. But what are people doing because they're drunk and because they're asleep? Enjoying the world. Going to church and doing all they do in the church and nothing is happening. No life of the spirit at all. Mm -hmm. So we should be mourning for this. The priest should be mourning for this. But what do they do? Find the opportunity to take over what God has given us for themselves and make money off of the people. Verse 10, the field is wasted. The land mourneth for the corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up. The oil languisheth. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen. Howl, O ye wine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. Mm. Man, we should be weeping. But instead, we're religious, just doing what we want to do. It should hurt that the life of Christ is not in us doing the things that Jesus did. Man, this is a bad situation that these people are in. What we're in today. The vine, which Jesus says, I am the true vine, is dried up. And the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, uh, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. Even all the trees of the field are withered because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Mm -hmm. So as you can see, that joy, which is the Holy Ghost, which is a fruit of the spirit, the trees, which are us that are to bear fruit, that other people may grow fruit. Those things are withered away. So when he's naming these different trees, he's talking about different offices, different people, you know, that are there. They're not bearing any fruit. Right. Bad situation. Verse 13. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. Howl, ye ministers of the altar. Come lie all night in sackcloth. So this is what he's saying. When a lot of people used to um, fast in those days, they would actually fast before the Lord in sackcloth and ashes. They would look like a ragamuffin, like somebody cut out a, what do you call it? Like a, a what do you call those? When people race in the sack. Gunny sack. Gunny sack. There's another name. Potato sack. Almost like a potato sack with the arms and legs cut out. You would look like a bum, you know, before the Lord. But that was a type of humility. Humility. Sackcloth and ashes, looking like a bum before the Lord. We should be crying for the spirit. We should be crying for the wine. But instead, you don't mind a little water mixed in with your wine. That should bother you, that there is no new wine flowing where it needs to within within God and his, his body. Yeah. I was just going to say, we should look like, forgive me for saying this, bums before the Lord. So mm -hmm. Because it's like we're... You know, we're nothing before him. And it's like, how humble are we willing to go that, you know, he cleans us out? I mean, this representation was the fact that they showed how lowly they were mm -hmm. before the Lord so that, you know, he would move. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just, you know, if we get too proud in our prayers, thinking that the Lord's going to hear us a certain way, or if we just 
Mm. Well, Lord, I give you a few minutes out of the day because my day's been so busy. Like you were saying earlier, it's like, man, why should I even look upon that nonsense? I'm not saying that prayer is nonsense, but it's like, you know, when do we finally get it and Mm -hmm. understand that we got to give more time to the Lord and Mm -hmm. less time to the world? See, God has feelings too, you know, but God is saying to you, because of your state, do you even recognize that everything that you, that I've given you has been ransacked? Man, you should be screaming. They should hear you 10 blocks from here crying out and begging the Lord for that spirit to come back. Mm -hmm. But that's got to be a group effort. That's not just for one individual. This is a church community that we might all have it. So it says, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God, for the meat offerings and the drink offerings is withholding from the house of your God. See, God said he would do this, and this is what he's doing. He's backing off of the people. Sanctify ye a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God, and cry unto the Lord. At last for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as the destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Is not the meat cut off before our eyes? Yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. So he's right, because we're going to get into come Tuesday night, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And people are going to have to see and they're going to have to understand that joy is not something that you just skip around with through the tulips. Joy is given to us to do the will of God, no matter what happens to you and I. That's the life of God that is within us. We should have joy in presenting the gospel. We should have joy in telling people the truth. We should have joy to have a prayer life before God that he can come unto us and and give us what we need. But see, that's what's lacking. Joy. The joy of the Lord. All right. So anyway, um, verse 17. The seed is rotten under under their clods. The gardeners are laid desolate. The barns are broken down. For the corn is withered. How do the beasts groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed. Because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. So this is even people not even seeking the Lord. No sheep, no pasture to graze in, no cattle. How are these beasts not groaning? It's just like if we were to have a farm. And you mean to say those animals are going to sit silent, although they haven't eaten in days. You're going to hear a lot of yelling, and they might even try and devour each other. They may just kick the gate off and then run out and graze for themselves. So he's saying, how can the church of God not be screaming and crying for this when even the beasts of the pastures would do this? That means we're worse than them, huh? Verse 19, O Lord, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. The beast of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. So you guys in your spare time, look at Joel chapter 2. You know, in your spare time, when remember it comes around, when Acts the second chapter was prophesied, when they said that the old men will dream dreams, and God said he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And that the old men will um, dream dreams and the young men will see visions. Okay, so that's God's plan, which he already did, which he's going to do again in the end time. 
but that was truly talking about um, Acts, the second chapter. So God first looked at them in Joel 1 in their deprived state. And he's saying, I'm not going to leave you guys like this if you call upon me. How did the disciples, think about this, get the Holy Ghost in Acts 2? They, one, obeyed Jesus. They went back to Jerusalem in a solemn meeting. Did they not? Were they not all together? About 120 of them. And they prayed and then for 10 days to call out to the Lord to where God poured that spirit on them. Mm -hmm. So this is what this is all about. Going after the wine. Let's go to uh, John chapter 2. is John chapter 2 and let's begin at verse 1. How did I end up in Acts 2 looking for John 2? Must have, right? Must the Lord wanted me to read it. You know, that's interesting too because I, when I looked down, I saw John 2. I looked down again, I see Acts 2. So I'm like, Lord, I'll read it. I'll read it. This is John 2. Let's look at verse 1. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So what we got to look at, too, for those who, um, you know, we receive revelation of the Lord, whenever they tell you what day it was, there's some significance there. Now, we know a lot of things happen on the third day. On the third day, Jesus rose again, you know, on the third day, um, Man, there's there's so many examples. I can't even think of them right now. But Jesus was the, the the number three is always a number of you know rebirth or transformation. It's from going oh Jonah three days in the belly of the whale. Jesus three days in the heart of the earth. So there was always you know there's a lot of examples of the number three. Okay, so this is the third day, and there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus. Uh, was called and his disciples to the marriage. So let's look at this. Okay, now this is a marriage going on right now, but we got to think about it. Jesus is at this marriage and the disciples are there. Those who follow Jesus are here. So then he says, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? The, mine hour is not yet come. So Mary's talking about wine for the wedding. Jesus is talking about the hour coming on the third day that that wine could be distributed, which is the Holy Ghost. Okay, verse 5. His mother saith unto, unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. So it was kind of like she understood too. If he's talking about his hour has not yet come, Mary was kind of injecting, well, you know, whatever he tells you to do, do it. So they're talking of something concerning, you know, their time. So then it says in verse six, and there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. 
And he said unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was. But the servants which drew the water knew, and the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. So as you can see here, this is kind of talking about a type of end times. This is that marriage supper, the ones that the virgins missed out on. Now he poured wine into the, um, he turned the water into wine because that's what God had always intended. Now we're going to see how this has something to do even with the very end of the coming of Christ. Okay, so hold where you are. I want to go there real quick. No matter of fact, let's read verse 10. Let's read verse 10. And it says, And saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And, and, when, man, and when men have um, well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. So as you can see, these disciples were loyal to what he's talking about. And he's talking about keeping the good wine. So that was an example of vessels that were made of stone, that were full of water, that he would change into wine. This is a type of latter rain that God would give us. Now watch how this compares with a few other scriptures that we have. So I want to go from here until, um, look at Joel 3. Let's go to, back to Joel 3 and let's look at verse 14. Joel is right by Hosea. All right, so this is, you almost there? All right, so this is Joel uh, 3, and let's look at verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. So you know this is talking about the coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall ye know that I am the Lord, your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her any more. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountain shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall um, flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters, and the fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Shittim. So as you can see, this is what he's talking about in the end times, that new wine. All they had was water. Jesus turned the water into wine. Jesus wanted man to be full of him and to house the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was going to be the one to give them that wine, that new wine. He's the only one that can. So if we want to really house the new wine, we've got to come to Christ. When Jesus comes back for his thousand-year millennial reign, you will see an overflowing of the Spirit. Man will be righteous. Man won't be all wild and out of control. Man will be obeying God. So you see, his righteousness will flow out unto all them that need the Spirit or that want the Spirit. So that's what this is about. Let's give another example of this. Oh, man. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. 
And let's look at verse 12. This is what Jesus came, and this is why he wanted him to know he was the Messiah. That's why he turned the water into wine. You know, it was symbolic, but it was also letting you know that if you're with me, you'll never go dry. Mm. That's what this is about. So this is Jeremiah 31. Let's look at verse 12, and it says, Therefore uh, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord. For wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd and their soul shall be as a watered garden and they shall not sorrow any more at all. So it's important that we understand here that he was coming with the fulfillment of the wine. Like remember in Revelation 21, when people get to heaven, there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more mourning because you're in the presence of God. And of course, when we're in um, the presence of God in Revelation 21, we're going to have the glorified body full of the new wine. There'll be no crying. There'll be no tears. These will be righteous times before the Lord. And why we're not righteous? We got the water mixed with wine. See, Jesus could have said, all right, well, keep some water and I'll pour some wine. He wanted the whole jar to be wine. He said, you might be water now, but when I get through with you, you're going to be full of the spirit. And God will accept no substitutes. Those are the ones that can do God's will and will do his will if we just stay up under Jesus. Right. Jesus was invited to the marriage. If you stay with Jesus, you'll be invited to the marriage. If you obey what Jesus says to do, then you will be glorified along with him. Amen. That's the goal of God. And that's why the church needs to get it together so that we can be right with Christ. Hosea chapter 4. Yes, sir. And to... Um you know, some people don't believe or they don't think anymore that if you walk with Christ that he'll take care of your every need. But the thing is, is that how much that we believe in the Lord, and everyone's walk with the Lord is different. If people are not ready, then that's between them and the Lord. But the thing is, is that, like you were saying in one Bible study, you know, we don't serve a dead Jesus. Nope. He is alive. And so how much of him do we believe that he is alive? And, you know, if he's watching everything that we do, then... Our conscience should be as such. We should be thinking, well, you know, if the Lord, the Lord's standing right here, and and you know, I'm speaking to myself when I say this. Me too. It's just, but if we believe Him, like you were saying, if we're going to go out, and we're going to do the will of the Lord, then He's not going to just like, okay, you did my will, but you know, I hope you make it. You know, I hope your bills get paid. That's not the God that we serve. He's going to no. make sure that if we work for Him in whatever form or fashion that he designs, that our every need is going to be taken care of. He says the workman is worthy of his meat. Mm -hmm. So that's what we've got to be, you know, aware of. If we serve him, he'll meet every need. So this is Hosea 4, and let's look at verse 1. So he says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, no mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Basically, this thing is full of water. You may as well say, by swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, uh, they break out and, and, and blood touches blood. So these people are violent. These people will fight for anything. They are lawless. They'll do what they want. Therefore shall the land mourn. And see, some people would think, well, I don't see no evidence of that. Let's look at the church real good. Blood touches blood. 
You know, you'd be surprised how many people are out there. You, these pastors are ministering to people and there is no, you know, desire for Jesus Christ at all. Not even telling people the truth. You're killing that person because they're sitting up under you for guidance and you're not even telling them the truth in Christ. So then it says, therefore, um, shall the lamb mourn and every one that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beast of the field and with the fowls of heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. Yet let no man strive nor reprove another for thy people are as they that strive with the priest. Therefore shall thou fall in the day of the, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. So he's talking about their government because they are sitting up under these priests that are like this. He's saying, man, I'm going to take away all these things. Everything that you don't worship, or I mean, or everything that you don't want and you don't desire or you're not willing to learn from, he's going to take these things away. So then he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. So he's moving away the prophet. He's moving away the priest. All these people that can be used of the Lord, he's removing because they have no respect for it at all. So he's saying, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. That thou shalt be no priest to me seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also reject thy children. So that's a promise. And why would God do this? Because if you were to go in your spare time to Exodus chapter 20, the Bible talks about that, you know, um, that idolatry, or he says, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul, or thou shalt have no other gods before me. So when you put another God before God, you know, the penalty for idolatry goes unto the third and fourth generation. So it's important that we don't become idolaters, that we really seek after God. Verse 7, for, for they, I mean, as they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. And this is what's going to happen to America, because though they were increasing, you know, God was blessing, they continued to sin. So he says he'll change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people and they set their heart on their iniquity. So now he's kind of focusing on the priest because he's saying that they're not teaching the people the truth. He's turning their heart towards iniquity. And this is what you get in a lot of churches. He's preaching the world to people, how to have your best life here, how to be successful and go on with the world. Or he's pushing his whoredom. He's pushing idolatry. And that's why you got what, 100,000 people sitting up in Joe Osteen's church and all they got is a motivational speaker. All he's telling you how to do is how to live here. You know, and twisting scripture left and right trying to make that point. And people sit up in there and it's like, how can you possibly believe that this is God when you've got a Bible in your lap yourself? I mean, and there's no translation that reads the way that they read. Even if you were to get the NIV, it wouldn't be as corrupt as Joe Osteen's preaching. You could easily look in the Bible and see what's what. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let me keep going because I could talk about this for an hour. So he says in verse 9, And there shall be like people, like priests, and I will punish them for their ways and reward them their doings. So, you know, God holds teachers and priests in a different place that they will receive the greater damnation 
if they don't clean up their act and get it together. Verse 10, for they shall eat and not have um, enough. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. So this is not the same wine as the new wine of Christ. He's talking about whoredom, which is one, which is fooling around on the Lord with other gods and other things, and wine. And he's talking about new wine. He's not talking the Holy Ghost here because the Holy Ghost doesn't take away your heart. This is just having, you know, more wine or the best wine. It'll take away the heart. He says it takes away the heart. These things that we run after, these things that we call, you know, good to us will take us away from the Lord. We don't even realize on a daily basis how the world is killing you. The eight hours or nine hours that we sit up in there at work doing our daily tasks, we don't even realize these things are, are taking away our heart from the Lord. I mean, easy. So he says, my people ask counsel uh, at their stocks and their staff declareth unto them for the spirit of whoredoms hath caused them to err and they have gone a whoring from under the Lord. So see, there's a spirit of whoredom here that a lot of people go after. If you still desire the American dream and things you can have in this world, in many ways, that's the spirit of whoredom. Why? Because it's vanity. Mm -hmm. You know, God wants us to be able to live, yes, and, and to have to take care of our families, but God also wants you working for him. Why must we believe that, you know, in order to be sustained, we've got to go to the world. We've got to go to the water when we've got the wine. That's something to think about because Pastor David Langford, he hasn't had a paycheck in about 25 years, 26 years, because he's given his life to the Lord full time in the ministry and the Lord is providing for him and his family. Amen. And he's not stealing from the church. That's not what this is about. Henry Grewer's family has been taken care of for how long since he's been out. So God will always take care of a faithful servant that does his will. That's what this is about. So he says, huh? I was going to say, it's probably been about 50 years for... Henry, right? Yeah. You know, so this is verse um, 13. They sacrifice upon the tops of the mountains and burn incense upon the hills under oaks and poplars and elms. Because the shadow thereof is good, therefore your daughters shall commit whoredom and um, your spouses shall commit adultery. So he said the shadow of them is good. So it's nice and dark up there. So now they're doing things aside from what the Lord does. The Lord is saying if they don't stop it, he's going to pull the sheets off and everybody's going to see it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is one of the ways that God tells us get our lives together. Verse 14, I will not punish your daughters when they commit whoredom, nor your spouses when they commit adultery. For themselves are separated with whores and they sacrifice with harlots. Therefore, the people that doth not understand shall fall. So what he's talking about here is, I'm not going to punish them anymore. The worst thing that, you, that can happen to you is that God won't punish you. Because you know what that means? You're not one of his. And that's why he says, if you're my children, I will deal with you as sons. I will chastise you as sons. And he said, at first it will seem kind of grievous, but afterwards, and this is in Hebrews 12, you receive that peaceable fruit. So he deals with you as sons. But if God leaves you to your own, that's almost reprobation. That's when he refuses to come after you. You're not one of his. 
That's a scary place to be in because if God spanks your butt, you know he loves you. You know he's trying to put you back on the path. When he just leaves you to your own, that's like, man, I'm, I'm damned. You know, because there's nothing that's going to, he's not interfering with your life. Whenever the devil gets ready to take you out, he'll take you out. So while we're being chastised, while we got people preaching wine and not water, while we got people telling people what they need to know, that is love. That's to keep you on the path. Those lying pastors you guys got out there and teachers that won't tell you guys the truth is because they don't love you. They could care less. As long as you're giving me what I need, that's all I'm concerned about. And what are they going to do? Just like the hireling, they're going to sell you off to the wolf. That's the way it goes. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, I know James always says I say this, but... I'm going to try not to in this case. Uh, let's go to Matthew 9. And if you can, get Galatians 5. Look at verse 1. All right. You knew we were going to come here. And he, which is Jesus, entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick with the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. So Jesus was trying to set this person free, you know, from the palsy. I don't know what kind of palsy he had, but he was very sick. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. So, you know, wherever there is wine, you're always going to have some water nearby. Look at verse 4. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it's easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. So what do you think he was trying to tell them? If the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he wanted them to know, guys, I'm the Messiah. Yep. I am God the Son. He was hoping that they would have faith in him and begin to believe, but they took it as blasphemy because they didn't want to believe what the scriptures said. Mm -hmm that he would come. Then, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thine, and go to the, unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. So what were those people sipping? Wine. They were like, man, this is good. This is what I'm believing in. Man, glory to God that he was able to do this. But I notice when people have selflessness about them, they can praise the Lord with such ease. But when people got like a grudge or something that they want to like plan on people, there's always some type of sitting in the back. Yeah, I don't know about that. You know what? I mean, if you see something that's wrong, that's one thing. You get what I'm saying? But if you're just like that, just sitting around, just waiting, and you see God do something, and you, man, I don't believe that. That's because you're trying to compete with Christ. That's really what it is. 
Unless you see something that's phony, then the spirit will tell you, get up and leave. But when you, you're trying to compete for God's attention, when God gets glorified, you have people sitting around wanting to kill you because you've done an act of the Lord. Because you said something that God says, they sit around and look at him, think he knows everything. See, that's what I'm like about. How is he any better than me? You see what I'm saying, man? Look at him. He knows that he, yeah, I remember when he didn't know anything. That's the devil. Because the thing is, is that they hate to see God being glorified. We should all be happy to see God glorified. But people hate that about people. You wonder why so many people hate their pastor or somebody that's trying to help. It's because there's something in you that wants to compete with God. And it's like this, man. Don't be jealous. Go and do it yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what are you getting mad at me for? Exactly. Go do it the right way. Oh, man. Let me get going. <laughs> so he says, um, look at verse 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. What an anointing. Mm -hmm. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at me in the house. Behold, Many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. So let's make the point here because a lot of people, including some pastors, have tried to make the point. Jesus sat amongst the sinners. Yeah, but Jesus didn't do what they were doing. He said those who will be made whole are those who are sick. You know, those who are whole don't need a physician. But I'm sitting amongst them that they may come on, hear the gospel, and believe on me. Not down there at the whorehouse or gambling or doing whatever, talking about, well, Jesus was with the sinner. Yeah, he might have been with them, but he wasn't doing what they were doing. Verse 13 but go ye and learn what that meaneth. Tell them, Lord, mm -hmm. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's the other thing about water. You know, the wine goes after what's necessary because it's led of the Spirit. Okay, you're following the Lord. The water will go in places and fool around because, you know, they, they like to preach to save people. Somebody saved, they like to minister to. Somebody out there in the world that needs Christ and they withdraw because it's just water. What we need is the wine. Remember what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 23. Um, uh, he said that um, I was ready to give up on the Lord because of what was happening to me. He said, but like a drunken man, the spirit took him over that he was just obeying what God was saying. So read that in your spare time, Jeremiah 23. But he said, I was taken over by God like a drunken man. You know, and some people don't think that, you know, being drunk with the spirit, they don't think that that's biblical, but it is because the point being made is if somebody's drunk with alcohol, what they'll do is act like one, an idiot. Okay. But two, the thing is, is that they're taken over by something that they're not really aware in their thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know, they are, they are taken under the power of something else. You know, they're intoxicated. Well, if we're intoxicated with the Spirit, we'll be led by the Spirit. So you won't have any thoughts of what you're going to do for you or what's going to happen to you. All you know is Christ. 
All you know is the wine. All you know is to be led by the spirit that you commune with that speaks to you. But when you think of yourself, it's because you're not intoxicated enough. You're not full of the spirit. There's still a little you in there that's worried about your safety. But if you're of the spirit, I mean, look at drunk people on alcohol. They'll fight anybody. They'll say anything at any time. They can be a wimp any other time. But let them get a little alcohol in them, and all of a sudden, they're bold, and they're talking tough. They're ready to, yeah, liquid courage, you know, go out and run out in the street and do whatever. A, A lot of people are even afraid to dance, but let them get a little alcohol in their system and forget it. They're rerun from what's happening. They're dancing and doing whatever. They're having a good old time. You know, they're tearing up the floor. Well, God wants us to have that type of consciousness of him and not of ourselves, Mm -hmm. that he can take us wherever we go. I mean, with him and we will obey. A drunk person will obey that alcohol. When that alcohol says, let me get another drink. Guess what? You're going to go and get another drink because that's the alcohol talking to you. So much so that even when people say, hey, man, you had enough. Man, leave me alone. When I want to drink, I drink when I when I feel like it. Because that's the alcohol talking. Yeah. So we ought to be that way for Christ. Not full of alcohol, but I'm saying <laughs> obeying the Spirit of God. Right. All right. So he says in verse 14, Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but thy disciples fast not? So John's disciples had a little problem too here. They thought, well, you know, well, we fast, but they didn't even understand this. This is water. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying fasting is water, but they're resting on something that they don't even have. These guys don't even have the spirit and they're proud of the flesh. That's water. All right. So look at what he says in 15. And Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? So in other words, when we fast and we pray, we mourn for Jesus Christ. We mourn for the spirit. Remember what Joel 1 says. Man, you guys should be crying out for the spirit if you don't have it. So, but if, but if God is with us, then there's no need to fast and mourn. Jesus was walking among them. So he was their comforter. And that's why he told them later that when I leave, the Father will send you another comforter. Right now they've got Christ. But when Christ leaves, we're going to have to be full of something else. And it better be that new wine. So he says, can the um, children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. Tell them, Jesus. Look at verse 16. No man putteth a piece of new cloth into an old garment. For that which is put in to fill it up, uh, taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. So you cannot put new material on an old, I mean, imagine I'm seeing uh, um, an old uh, dress. I mean, this thing is moth-eaten, and you're going to go and try and put new um, new patches on it to mess with it. If the fabrics don't match up, all you're going to do is tear it and make it worse. Okay, so that's the point he was making. Verse 17, Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break and the wine runneth out. And the bottles perish, but they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. So as you can see, this is important too. John's people and the Pharisees and Jesus' people were fasting for different reasons. Jesus' people, his people weren't going to fast now 
because God had greater intentions. This was not to subdue the flesh. This was for the spirit. John's people were fasting to subdue the flesh. But God is like, I'm not working that way anymore. What I'm working for is the spirit. So he says, they're not going to be fasting until I leave and I come back with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because they need new bottles to preserve the new wine. All that fasting they were doing for the Levitical side of things. I'm not saying Daniel did what he had to do. He had to fast. Esther did what she had to do. Moses did what he had to do. Elijah did what he had to do. That was because of the Levitical law. There was no way of having the spirit yet. And now that we can house the spirit, Jesus is saying, you fast only for the spirit. You fast to keep the spirit. You fast to maintain what God has given you. In order to hold the new wine, the new vessel has to be prepared. So these are things that we've got to understand concerning the wine. If you don't have that, that's what we ought to be mourning and crying out for. Not this wine mixed with water. We've got to look at this word and see what people have done that have been full of the Spirit and ask the Lord one thing. Why don't I have this? Why has this not been done through me? What am I doing to stop the flow that your spirit can work and I can do what you did because that's what you require of me? That's what we've got to pay attention to. What is lacking in me that I can't do this? Man, stop selling out for the wine mixed with water and let's go after the new wine that is the only thing that can house the old, I mean, that can go into the new house, that both can be preserved. Because if we have some wine, and it's not in the new bottle, it's going to break. Mm -hmm. As the Spirit tells you, I need you here, and you won't go, there'll be some re resistance. The Spirit will come with the new cloth, and you'll have the old material, and you guys are going to be pulling and tugging. He's going to be trying to get you to go, and you're going to be digging your heels and saying, I got to go to work. I got other things I need to do. And what's going to happen? It's going to rip. So all of that would be for nothing. But he's saying, man, when you got the new wine and the new bottle is going to obey the new wine, it won't burst under pressure. It is going to house it because God lives in it. Man, the real wine, not this water. And then we wonder why, you know, we got to try and create some excitement in order for the spirit to work. It's because we're full of water. What we need is the new wine and accept no substitutes. Amen. He said both are preserved. That means for now and unto eternity. You can only make your mark with Christ having the new wine. He said both are preserved. He didn't say one. He said both. Man, what a God. In Galatians 5. Real quick to yeah. point this is that um, if, if the disciples had been given the Holy Ghost before there was the Holy Spirit before there was time, then because Jesus already knew that they were going to run away from him at the cross when he died because they didn't understand and he already knew that Peter was going to deny him three times so it's like why give us something that we're not prepared to have yet you know and it's just like what would have happened to them had he given them the Holy Ghost and they had done those things see when God gives it to us it's because he doesn't want to waste time right you know what I mean God is like hey now that Jesus didn't get baptized so he was 30 years old he was mature enough at that time he saw everything in the world you know, that 30 for 3 can be kind of like a beginning. That 3, you know, for transformation or, or you know, um, what do you call it? Resurrection. Mm -hmm. 
And then you have the 10, which represents God's law. So this was going to be the perfect law, the resurrection, the law of resurrection, which is the spirit. This is what God was trying to work out. So when he became 30 years of age, the father said, it's time. Now let's go and do it. He didn't do it to Jesus at 20 years old. And I'm not saying a 20-year-old can't get full of the spirit. They can't. But everything God did with Jesus Christ was a purpose. There was always a purpose for it. But he made sure when he was 30, he cut all ties with the world and went right after. Once he was baptized, the spirit led him immediately into the wilderness to crucify the flesh so that he could go out and be. Because once he got the new wine, he kept it. Once the new wine fell on him, the spirit said, we got to go. And we got to get this bottle right so that it can hold the wine. Because if Jesus had any desires of the world, Jesus would have run back to the world. I mean, not that he really wanted to, but you get what I'm saying? Like his flesh tried to fight him in Gethsemane. His flesh tried to come on him. Let this cup pass from me. There was a part of Jesus that didn't want to bear the sins of the whole world. And I mean, to be honest with you, I wouldn't have wanted to do it either. I mean, he was innocent, but he obeyed what the Father said. And, and once that spirit fell on him when he prayed in Gethsemane, and he said, I'm ready, let's go. And he never looked back. And that's how you got to keep that wine. But anyway, um, let's go to uh, Galatians 5. Let's look at verse 1. So it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So, you know, that yoke of bondage here is no doubt the Levitical law because the Galatians were told that you have to keep the Levitical law and you worship Christ, and somehow you would have both. You know, I mean, the, the both would go together. But what Jesus just said and what we just read is, you can't put new wine into an old wine jar. Okay, so if you're of the law, you cannot have the spirit. It's that simple. You're either going to live a spiritual life or you're going to live a fleshly life. You're going to live one bound by laws or you're going to live one by the liberty of the spirit. There is no in-between here. Verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. So they tried to persuade the Galatians, you got to be circumcised if you want to have the spirit. you got to go to church if you want to be a Christian. You see, this is, this is the same kind of mess when really all we need is Christ. And he'll put you amongst other believers in the assemblies that you should go. But somebody telling you, no, you got to be in a church to be a Christian, that's a lie. There's nowhere in the Bible that is written. Yep. But that's the law. So anyway, he says, I testify, uh, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. So if you keep one law, you keep the Sabbath day because of the law, you better be out sacrificing bullocks. You better be ready to stone people when the time comes. You got to go all the way back to the law. And if you don't keep one part of the law, expect yourself to be stoned by somebody else who's keeping the law with you. There can't be grace. There can't be mercy when there is law. Yep. Law says this is how it needs to be and this is how it's going to be. If you do this, here is the consequence. So you don't have time to grow in the spirit when you're dealing with the law. You mess up. And you know what happens to you. But when you've got the law, that's a different thing altogether. I mean, when you've got um, the law of the Spirit, yeah. God will give you that grace to, okay, let's get it right. Let's continue. Let's, let's build this bottle so that it can house the wine. 
and you start to let a little bit out, the Spirit will tell you, we need to go on a fast. We need to pray. We need to get back on track. We need to cut all these things out for a little while so that we can be filled. That's what that's what the difference between law and grace. Yeah. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. That's something that we've got to recognize. None of us deserve to make it. That's it's right. because of Christ. But if you do if you work with the law and you go according to that, then you're calling yourself righteous by your own standards. I'm keeping the Sabbath and they're not. So I'm righteous. All right, well, you better be in debt. You better um, keep the whole law. And even then you're not going to heaven because Christ is in vain to you. So as you keep the law to the best of your ability, you'll still be condemned. Mm -hmm. Christ has become of no effect unto you, see? Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So as we can understand, that's God's selfless love. This is what we need to go forward with Christ. You see how there is no water mixed with wine in this. It's either the spirit or it's either the flesh. But there is no middle ground. And that's how we've got to live. So he says, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. So this is why it's sad for a lot of people when they get baptized in the Spirit outside of a church. And the first thing they run and do is go and run to a church. I'm not saying you can't go there to do what God says. But in many cases, because the churches themselves are not set up like they should be, what you find is people giving the glory to the pastor and you watch your little flame die out. You know, instead of being free of the Spirit to do what God tells you, now you're under somebody else's ambitions that, well, I'm going to wait about three more years, and then I think you'll be ready to start doing this and that. Hey, if the Spirit didn't lead him to do that, he's out of order. Because if the Spirit commands you to do a thing, you do that thing. But this is how you can throw man between God. I'm not talking about not having elders and a pastor. Yes, we need them. But when you've got the spirit, the, even that pastor will tell you, go to the Lord. Unless the, and that pastor will also be full of the spirit. Well, God will give him instruction to give you. But it wouldn't be a man's heart that you would be dealing with. It wouldn't be somebody else saying, well, I need you and I need a few other people to help you out with this. And I mean, these people are being suffocated in church. No life of Christ. Everybody's looking at the star of the show, which is the pastor. He's up there and he's preaching and everybody's just enthralled by him and clapping and just looking up to him. What about you? What about Christ in you? Is he telling you to do what God says? Is he telling you to reach your full potential in Christ? No, you're sitting there serving him like it's the same as serving Jesus. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why he said you ran well. Who hindered you? Who stopped you from obeying the truth? Where did this mess come from? He's saying right here in verse 8, it didn't come from Jesus. A little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. A little you, a little pride, a little law, a little, you know, flesh. And you, you wipe out the spirit. You keep the spirit from working. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. 
And I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased? I would they were even cut off, which troubleth you. So Paul is saying, you guys are worrying about circumcised or uncircumcised. I'd rather you be castrated. So we can stop this nonsense about keeping the law and who should be circumcised and who shouldn't. Get full of the spirit. That's what he's talking about. Circumcise the heart so you can receive Christ. That's what this is about. All right. For uh, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So you see the ministry is 24-7. Amen. Serve one another. That's what we're supposed to be doing. He said, God's giving you liberty, but don't use that liberty to an occasion for the flesh. Follow the Lord. So he says in verse 14, For all the Lord's fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as yourself. Now, how do you love the neighbor as thyself? By having the Spirit of God. Outside of that, you can't love your neighbor. You'll have too much water in your wine and in what you want that will keep you from being righteous. Mm -hmm. Verse 15, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, walk in the wine, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Now, going back to that wine, going back to the intoxication of the wine, which represents the spirit. If we're intoxicated, then we're taken over. Galatians, uh, Colossians 3 says that our lives are hid in Christ. And he tells us to mortify our members. So if we go back to that wine, which is the spirit, and we're led by it, then, you know, we can truly do what God says. But if we don't, you know, then we're actually doing the things that the water does which is not intoxicating. Water is just refreshing. Mm -hmm. Water can refresh you to do the things that God wants, and it can refresh you to do the things that you want. Water is just a source of life, but it doesn't sustain you beyond the Spirit. Okay? So anyway, verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh which are, are, are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, and seditions, and heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So as you can see, we give over to the flesh, those are the works of the flesh, we will not um, inherit the kingdom. But the fruit of the spirit of the wine is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. So living in the spirit is kind of like what we're doing now. We may have some praise and worship. We might actually, you know, read the Bible and we're um, congregating together. That's living in the spirit, minding spiritual things. But then he says, let us walk in the spirit, meaning what? To be led by the spirit of God. That's what's important that we do. 
You know, God's desire is not our own. Look at verse 26. Let us not be desirous of vainglory. See, that's all water. Mm -hmm. Provoking one another and envying one another. Most times we use water to sustain, to sustain self, life, or another. But the wine, man, is meant to reach everybody. The wine is going to take you on to the next phase of your life, which is in the spirit, which is eternal life. Man, that's what we need. One last scripture. Let's go to uh, Romans um, 8, and let's look at verse 14, and I'm done. Matter of fact, let's look at verse 7 or verse 6. <laughs> so he says, uh, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity, it's the enemy of God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So you see, if your, mind, if your wine is mixed with water, it's only a matter of time before you turn from Christ. He's saying, man, the carnal mind is the enemy of God, that it's not subject to the law of God. Meaning like it's a different nature and nor can it be. It's like trying to tame a wild mustang. You can't get him to do what you want. He's got his own nature. So then he says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So if Christ be in us fully formed, it, he's kind of saying here what John later said that you can't sin. I mean, in other words, it's like if you're being led by God and you wait on God, you're only going to do what God says. But if you aren't being led by the Spirit every day, that means Christ is not fully formed in you. And see, this is what it's about. Many of us, we have the Holy Spirit. That's not the problem. The problem is you need to be filled. Christ needs to live in you to where you're overflowing and bursting forth. Mm -hmm. That's what's lacking because Christ may say, like Sarah's got a desire, and I do too now, a desire to not work for man anymore. You just want to go full time into the ministries. Mm -hmm. Melissa calls it Satan's hamster wheel. But it's true. You want to go forward and serve the Lord. Mm -hmm. But So that's part of Christ in you. That's desiring this. But the fullness of Christ, because your feet, are not prepared with Christ, you're not going. You're not going to do it because he's not fully living. But when Christ is fully living, you're going to minister at that job until you get fired. That's all you're going to do. And then when they call security and don't want you to come back, you'll be on the outside preaching the gospel to people that are coming in. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it goes. But you're going to be led where God tells you to go. I've learned to stop worrying about where I'm going to live, where I'm going to be working, what I'm going to be doing, because I've seen the Lord do these things when I didn't even know what I was going to do. Yep. So when you're led by God, he's going to work it out for us. Stop worrying and let God work. Amen. Anyway, so he says in verse, um, if Christ be in you, um, now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if, you, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the, So the Holy Ghost is never going to lead you to do something wrong. If we do something wrong, it's going to be because we're not led by the Spirit. 
Maybe we talked and said something too soon when we should have been waiting on God's instruction. Maybe we went and made a decision aside from what God wanted. But the Holy Ghost is only going to lead us into righteousness. It is impossible for the Spirit of God to lead you unto that which is unrighteous. That's just not the way God works. We can have the Spirit, but do we obey the Spirit? That's what's important. Waiting on the instruction of the Lord. You know, the Holy Ghost is not going to interrupt you. He'll talk to you and try and convince you. But if you don't want to listen, he'll let you go. You know, verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So as the spirit led Jesus around, the spirit's going to lead us around. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. So in other words, we don't owe the flesh anything. The flesh is killing us. Working your nine to five. And like I said, this is a call from the Lord. This is not encouraging anybody to quit. The God has to call you to move on with him so that you will obey what he says. But what I'm saying here is what, you know, he's saying you don't owe the flesh anything. The flesh is killing you. The world is suffocating you from the life of Christ. It's like, man, you don't owe them anything if you pursue the Lord. Mm -hmm. And see, many of us feel like we owe the world something. When we start getting into the world, well, you know, if I don't go into work, this is going to happen. And other people are going to be having to do my job. And this and that. Man, when you serve in Christ, none of that means anything. Amen. That's right. None of it. Verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So you see, I can't see the Holy Ghost when it says mortifying the deeds of the body. And I want to be real careful how I say this because I don't want to give people, you know, false information. But if it says, because of the Spirit, we mortify the deeds of the body, I don't see the Holy Ghost saying to us, we're going to work here and this is what we're going to be doing. And then when those eight hours are up, then we can go and do ministry work. Mm. I don't see the Spirit working that way because the Spirit doesn't waste time. But I'm not telling anybody to do this. Be led by the Spirit. God has to come to you and convince you that you need to work for Him fully. That's how that goes. Mm -hmm. He'll set you free if it's meant for you to be free. Amen. So He says, and you know, and that's why He says we're dying through the flesh. We need to be mortified, mortify the body so that Christ can live. You see, Christ has got a will and we've got a will. And what we're doing is we're fighting him just to move forward. God wants us to die out to self so that our lives are hidden in Christ and Jesus can do whatever he wants with you. Amen. Say, hey, man, I'm going to Europe, you know, and then you go to bed. The Lord told me to go to Europe. You wake up in the morning and people say, oh, so we're going to Europe? Actually, we're not. We're going to Africa now. Because this is what the Lord said to do first. You got to be led by the Spirit. You know what I'm saying? Something you could have done in that night could have kind of hindered the plan to go to Europe. So now God has got to change the plan. We're going here now. Yeah. So, you know, God, we've got to hear God has, excuse me, his every word to do what he says to do. Amen. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So if we truly want to be the children of God, we have to be led by the Spirit, you know, in, in every affair. Is this going to be an overnight process? No. 
but we've got to learn how to walk with God. Remember what we read in Isaiah? Learn to do well. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Now, God may put you at a job because he intends to win souls, but that's between you and the Lord. But you've got to be led by the Spirit in every affair so that we may have the wine and it not be mixed with water. Amen. So I just want to tell people with that, I love you. Let's obey the Lord. Let's do what the Lord says. And, um, you know, if we don't know what his calling is for us, let's seek a relationship with him that we might obey him. You know, this is all about knowing him, drawing closer to him, you know, setting aside the things that he sets us aside and doing the things that he tells us to do. All right. Now, that's the lesson. All right, let's go to Isaiah 29 and verse 13. Isaiah 29 and verse 13. I'm just going to start reading. Therefore the, the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but their but have removed their hearts from far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the precepts of man. So if we understand this verse right here, it's saying pretty much it's saying that they're worshiping the Lord in lip service, but their hearts are not anywhere near him, and it's all taught by the precepts of man. Now this is really relevant for today's time, because you can have a pastor pretty much saying whatever he wants to, and they're being taught that way, but they're not matching it up with what Scripture says. And, and they're not being convicted of the Holy Ghost. Is, All right, is this guy really teaching the truth? Or is this something that he's hearing from another false doctrine? Verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. So he's saying here is that regardless of these men's wisdom, it's all going to come to naught. And that's the same thing that's going to happen in the last days, right before Jesus Christ comes back, is that all this stuff that these guys are doing, it's all going to be for naught. You know, they're, they're actually going to be exposed for the, the, the heresies and the, the abominations that they're teaching. Verse 15, Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their work and their works are in the dark and they say who seeth us and who knoweth us how many false pastors or, or preachers out there today are saying these things that oh the lord you know he really doesn't see what we do you know we're doing this for our you know our works that we get uh, the glory so this is actually saying right here that they don't believe in Jesus Christ in the first place. Because if they were, they wouldn't be saying these things, you know. And this is what Pharaoh said. Who is this God that I should serve him? He said that to, the, you know, to Moses. So these people right here are saying the exact same thing. And they're, they're, they're preaching on top of that. Verse 16. Surely your turning of these things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say unto him that made it, that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed as, or excuse me, or shall the 
the thing framed say of him that framed it. He had no understanding. Now here's an interesting part here when it says he had no understanding. That's a capital H. So that's talking about God when he's saying this. So that's pretty much saying that these people are saying to him, God didn't know what he was doing. You know, you got the homosexuals out there saying, uh, uh, I, I was really supposed to be a woman or I was really supposed to be a man. You're saying the exact same thing when you mm -hmm. say that, that God did not know what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And he's saying here, it's silly for a, a, a clay jar to say unto the person fashioning it, you don't, did you know that you were making a vase here? So, I mean, if you, wouldn't, if you wouldn't imagine a clay jar saying that to the person actually making it, why are, are people saying that to God who actually formed us? That's right. Verse 17. Is it not very a little, is it not yet a, is it not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a force. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek shall also increase their joy in the Lord. And the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Now it says in Matthew that the meek shall inherit the earth. So this is also a future prophecy of things that are going to happen. It's like we go out and we preach the gospel. And it's, we may think at times, man, people are not listening to us. But we continue to go out and do the, the Lord's will. It's saying right here. Those people that were in darkness, now they'll see. It's not everyone, but people that really and truly desire to come after the Lord, they're going to be the ones that they that see, just like us. Mm -hmm. There were times that we were living in darkness, and what happened? Lord came to us, and now that we see. Mm -hmm. Verse 20, For the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off, that make a man an offender for a word. And lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate. And turn aside the just for a thing of naught. Therefore thus saith the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall not now be ashamed. Neither shall his face wax uh, pale. But when he seeth his children the work of mine hands in the midst of him. They shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, and shall fear the God of Israel. So it's saying here that the children are going to do these things. So it's just like when the, the children of Israel went into the promised land, what happened? Those old people that didn't want to go in, that didn't fear the Lord, and that mm -hmm. didn't trust Him, they had to die off. Mm -hmm. And that's got to happen with us too. It's like some parents, uh, they're like religious or whatever, and it's actually their children that get the Holy Ghost. And there might be contention and strife there, but then the children at one point are going to say, you know what, forget it. I don't care what y'all say. This is about doing the Lord's will, no matter what. Yes, Verse 24. They also that erred in the Spirit shall come to understanding, and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. So, you know, I mean, this is just, it speaks volumes as the fact that, you know, we really do have to have the mindset is to follow after the Lord. You know, we got to get it soon. We got to get it right sooner than later because we really don't know how much time that we have left. Absolutely. That's right. Now, just got to stop mixing that wine. When God gives us that, it's a treasure. It's not for the world. It's not to coexist. It's not to have tolerance for sin. You know, it's not homosexual pastors. 
and people in churches mm -hmm. that don't want to repent. This is all about obeying the Lord and doing what He says. Amen. You want to pray to listen? Mm -hmm. Mighty Lord, Father God, mighty Jesus, just we beseech you that the flesh be removed from us as you see fit, that you would build us up, Lord, daily to hear your word, feel your presence, and fill us. Just give us the thirst for the wine. Just remove the water and fill us with the wine, Lord. And just strengthen us daily show us your path your will for us yes, and let us be willing to follow it um, let us come to obedience lord we yes, just pray Jesus. for that obedience that yes, we would Lord. hear you clearly daily and yes, your Jesus. will would be done it's it's tough in these times to forget this world we've been led astray for so long lord and we just we just pray for that um those lies to be cut off from us that our armor be built and the the holes be patched lord the enemy cannot get in and lie to us and then we just be built and be your soldiers lord and have no fear to bring others to you for as we know as you grow stronger in us it's it's no longer us and we have no need to fear that we can just rely on you to give us the words yes, and it will be the right words at the right time for the right person and yes, they will come to you lord and and Thank praise you lord. lord for that we're so yes. thankful so grateful for that lord and we just we just pray for just that that strength to get to that point that we just trust you that much lord yes and just thank you for your mercy and grace thank you for continuing to to build us up and and forgive us as we falter yes, and trip yes, yes. and thank you for lifting us up and picking us up each time lord and just you know helping us to go stronger in you every yes. day you, and i just i pray for all those that are so attacked by the enemy lord that and they don't even know it just they're being so abused by the enemy lord and i just i pray yes, that you would lord. open their eyes and i just pray for all of those people just the ones that are mutilating them themselves and and just yes, you know Jesus. pushing themselves away from you i pray for those that have fallen into the trap of of being used and abused by the enemy and mm -hmm. um children women in you know slavery and um just these horrible things that the enemy is doing we just we pray for those people lord that they be lifted out of it and and that you know anyone that is near to falling into that trap that you just you catch them you stop it lord and you stop them from going in down that path and just protect them and we just pray daily that that more and more of your harvest be brought forward um and strengthened and that we become just mighty soldiers for you lord and we just thank you so much lord for all the things that you've done that we don't are so not deserving of thank, you know thank you for the blessings daily of what you give us that we just don't even deserve lord thank you for just continuing to um, be over this ministry and and we pray that you lead it as it need to, to be led um, we pray for the anointing on this ministry and we pray that any other um ministries that your you know your will is being done and we pray that the anointing be on those people too and that we 
we come together as the Church of Christ for you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, mighty Lord God. In your holy and mighty name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.